Chapter Six of Thomas Wingfold, Curate, by George MacDonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six, The Curate in the Churchyard. Bascom was chagrined to find that the persuasive eloquence with which he had hoped soon to play upon the convictions of jurymen at his own sweet will had not begotten even communicativeness, not to say confidence, in the mind of a parson who knew himself fooled, and partly that it gave himself cause to doubt how far it might be safe to urge his attack in another and to him more important quarter. He had a passion for convincing people, this Hercules of the New World. He sauntered slowly back to his aunts, husbanding his cigar a little, and looking up at the moon now and then, not to admire the marvel of her shining, but to think yet again what a fit type of an effete superstition she was, in that she retained her power of fascination, even in death. Wingfold walked slowly away, with his eyes on the ground, gliding from under his footsteps. It was only eleven o'clock, but this, the oldest part of the town, seemed already asleep. They had not met a single person on their way, and hardly even seen a lighted window. But he felt unwilling to go home, which at first he was fain to attribute to his having drunk a little more wine than was good for him, whence this feverishness and restlessness so strange to his experience. In the churchyard, on the other side of which his lodging lay, he turned aside from the flagged path and sat down upon a gravestone, where he was hardly seated ere he began to discover that it was something else than the wine which had made him feel so uncomfortable. What an objectionable young fellow that Bascom was, presuming and arrogant to a degree rare, he hoped, even in a profession for which insolence was a qualification. What rendered it worse was that his good nature, and indeed every one of his gifts, which were all of the popular order, was subservient to an assumption not only self-satisfied, but intrusive. And yet, and yet, the objectionable character of his self-constituted judge being clear as the moon to the mind of the curate, was there not something in what he had said? This much remained undeniable, at least, that when the very existence of the church was denounced as a humbug in the hearing of one who ate her bread and was her pledged servant, his very honesty had kept that man from speaking a word in her behalf. Something must be wrong somewhere. Was it in him or in the church? In him assuredly, whether in her or not. For had he not been unable to utter the simple assertion that he did believe the things which, as the mouthpiece of the church, he had been speaking in the name of the truth every Sunday, would again speak the day after tomorrow? And now the point was, why could he not say he believed them? He had never consciously questioned them. He did not question them now. And yet, when a forward, overbearing young infidel of a lawyer put it to him plump, as it were, in the witness-box, or rather, indeed, in the dock, did he believe a word of what the church had set him to teach? 
a strange something. Was it honesty? If so, how dishonest had he hitherto been? Was it diffidence? If so, how presumptuous his position in that church? This nondescript something seemed to raise a viewless obstruction in his throat, and having thus rendered him the first moment incapable of speaking out like a man, had taught him the next. Had it? To quibble like a priest, the lawyer fellow would doubtless have said. He must go home and study Paley, or perhaps Butler's analogy. He owed the church something, and ought to be able to strike a blow for her. Or would not Leighton be better, or more modern writers, say Neander or Coleridge, or perhaps Dr. Lytton? There were thousands able to fit him out for the silencing of such foolish men as this Bascom of the shirt-front. Wingfold found himself filled with contempt, but the next moment was not sure whether this Bascom or one Wingfold were the more legitimate object of it. One thing was undeniable. His friends had put him in the priest's office, and he had yielded to go that he might eat a piece of bread. He had no love for it except by fits, when the beauty of an anthem or the composition of a collect awoke in him a faint consenting admiration or a weak responsive sympathy. Did he not indeed sometimes despise himself, and that pretty heartily, for earning his bread by work which any pious old woman could do better than he? True, he attended to his duties, not merely did church, but his endeavor also that all things should be done decently and in good order. All the same it remained a fact that if Barrister Bascom were to stand up and to assert in full congregation, as no doubt he was perfectly prepared to do, that there was no God anywhere in the universe, the Reverend Thomas Wingfold could not, on the church's part, prove to anybody that there was. Dared not, indeed, so certain would he be of discomfiture, advance a single argument on his side of the question. Was it even his side of the question? Could he say he believed there was a God? Or was not this all he knew, that there was a church of England, which paid him for reading public prayers to a God in whom the congregation and himself were supposed by some to believe, by others, Bascom, for instance, not? These reflections were not pleasant, especially with Sunday so near. For what if there were hundreds, yes, thousands of books, triumphantly settling every question which an over-seething and ill-instructed brain might by any chance suggest? What could it boot? How was a poor, finite mortal, with much the ordinary faculty and capacity, and but a very small stock already stored, to set about? reading, studying, understanding, mastering, appropriating the contents of those thousands of volumes necessary to the arming of him who, without pretending himself the mighty champion to seek the dragon in his den, might yet hope not to let the loathly worm swallow him, armor and all at one gulp in the highway. Add to this that thought of almost dismayful. He had himself to convince first. The worst dragon of all to kill 
for bare honesty's sake in his own field while all the time he was arming and fighting like the waves of the flowing tide in a sou'wester sunday came in upon sunday roaring on this flat defenceless shore sunday behind sunday rose towering in awful perspective away to the verge of an infinite horizon sunday after sunday of dishonesty and sham yes hypocrisy far worse than any idolatry to begin now and in such circumstances to study the evidences of christianity were about as reasonable as to send a man whose children were crying for their dinner off to china to make his fortune he laughed the idea to scorn discovered that a gravestone in a november midnight was a cold chair for study rose stretched himself disconsolately almost despairingly looked long at the persistent solidity of the dark church and the waving line of its age-slackened ridge which like a mountain range shot up suddenly in the tower and ceased then turning away left the houses of the dead crowded all about the house of the resurrection at the farther gate he turned yet again and gazed another moment on the tower towards the sky it towered and led his gaze upward there still soared yet rested the same quiet night with its delicate heaps of transparent blue its cool glowing moon its steely stars and its something he did not understand he went home a little quieter of heart as if he had heard from afar something sweet and strange End of chapter 6 Recording by John Sherman Winfield, Illinois